0: John Wertheim from Melbourne, it is, let's see what it is, it's uh, Friday morning my time. It's Thursday afternoon on the East Coast, figured we would try something different this week for a podcast and just check in with a tournament update since I'm here. I'm joined by my producer in New York, Jamie Lasanti, we're about six hours past Federer falling to Djokovic. We've got uh, Men's Semi coming up later this evening on Friday. So that's where we're, we're picking things up. Jamie, how are you?
1: I'm good. I haven't slept too much, but tennis is keeping me going. Uh, and I, I'm in New York, but probably feeling the same way as you and many other people in Australia. Kind of still, like you said, only six hours still recovering from, from last night's match, which... Turned out to be pretty good, despite the first hour or so. Um, so I figure we just can start there because I have a lot of questions since, since I wasn't there to see it all. So uh, you know, what can you what can you tell us about the energy in the arena last night? You know, especially the change from that first two sets to the momentum change in the third, and then you know towards the end there.
0: Yeah, it was it was a strange match. And this is obviously this was the forty fifth time. They had met Djokovic obviously is starting to own these, these head to heads in majors. And I think coming in, people thought Roger had a real chance. Federer had looked very good through five rounds. He'd only dropped one set. He'd spent a lot less time on the court than Djokovic. Djokovic of course had that hundred unforced error survival win in the fourth round against Simo. Looked better against Nishikori in the quarters. But I think there was a sense that Djokovic may be ripe for, for the upset and that Federer, in part because of the way he'd been playing, but also because of his little court time, um, had a real chance. And it did not take long for uh, that chance to uh, to sort of be diminished. Uh, Djokovic played for, as you say, about an hour. He played just about as well as a human can play. Serena had a terrific first set against Radwanska. Earlier in the day, Djokovic's first set may have been even better, especially consider the opponent... And, you know, one of the keys to these best-of-five matches is you try to ride out the hot streak if it's coming from the other side of the net. Sometimes it's tough. We saw that with Nadal and Verdasco. Uh, But one of the beauties of of best-of-five is that you can sort of have tennis regress to the mean. And Djokovic was terrific. I mean, just untouchable. That first set should be frozen and, uh, you know, preserved in amber. The second set, he was still terrific. Got, um, got two key breaks. And then in the third set, Djokovic's level dropped and Federer came to life. The crowd really cheered him on. It was good to see Roger fight back. Federer takes the third set, and we think we've really got something special here, potentially. The roof comes closed because of a threat of rain, which was, was a little strange. I'm, I'm not sure it ever actually rained, but it turned into an indoor match. Federer had huge chances early in the fourth set. He was up love 30 on Djokovic and had three consecutive second serves, and he missed all three returns. And you had a a little feeling that that was kind of the window, and it had just shut. Mm. And you only get so many of these weak service games in the course of a set, and Federer had that great opportunity to really get control of the fourth set, didn't take advantage of it, Djokovic holds. And then we have a terrific game at 4-3 where we have a shot of the tournament, uh, just a, I mean, fire up YouTube and watch it. Federer wins the point. The crowd goes crazy, and then Djokovic does what he does best. He regroups, wins the next two points. One of them on a let court winner, breaks Federer, serves it out, wins in four sets. And there, there was a sense of disappointment, I think, for the Federer loss. Uh, but also, I think there was a sense of disappointment that this had the potential to be a terrific five-set classic. And you just had a couple of these fleeting moments that Federer wasn't able to take advantage of. Djokovic wins in four. On to the finals yet again.
1: Did you feel like the crowd played a role in the match? I know you mentioned that, you know, we saw Federer was kind of getting riled up and they were getting behind him. But, you know, remember in the U.S. Open final when they played, it, it, it was there was some... You know, negativity towards towards Djokovic during that match. Did you did you feel that last night? How much did the crowd play a role for both Federer and Djokovic? Yeah, I I
0: didn't sense sort of the negativity that um, that we saw at the U.S. Open final. I mean, you know, Federer's always going to be the crowd favorite wherever he plays, especially at this stage in his career especially against an opponent that, you know, is, is ranked higher than he is and is closing in on his record, and he's beating him in the head-to-heads, Djokovic is. Um, it was very pro Feder, but I don't know how much of that, too, was just the fact that they wanted a competitive match. And, uh, you know, after 6-1, 6-2, mm-hmm. they just, you know, the the, the cliché is the crowd wants more tennis, but I don't know how much of that was just sort of they would have rallied anyone just so they weren't seeing a blowout. I mean, I I think that Djokovic has a level of popularity here that he might not in Western Europe and and in the U.S., especially vis-a-vis Federer. The crowd definitely was predominantly for Federer, but again, again, that's always going to be the case, and I don't know how much of that is just, you know, here's a 34-year-old guy. He has this rich, textured history at the Australian Open. I, I didn't sense any animosity towards Djokovic, the way um, the way you sometimes do elsewhere,
1: and sort of relatedly, I wanted to ask you about um, you know Djokovic after the match in his on court interview with, with Jim Courier. They they had this moment at the end of the, at the end of the interview. You know, Courier was wrapping up and he starts to joke a little bit with Novak, and Novak surprisingly gives it back to him a little bit. And we can take a listen to that
0: And Then hopefully I can keep on going. All right, just two more questions and I'll let you go. My first question is a real simple one. We started the interview over here. You keep moving that way. What do I smell like? What, what's going on? Why are you moving away from me? OK, okay this is what you do. Okay. You ask a question and then you step in, you know? <laughs> so I had enough, um,
1: <laughs> I had enough face-offs, face-offs uh, tonight. I don't need any more.
0: Okay, last question, and I'll make it real easy. Milos Raonic, Andy Murray playing tomorrow night. Looking forward to that one, I'm sure. What are you expecting from that match? <laughs> <laughs> Holding the microphone at Dom's leg. Seeing the unexpected. Um, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great match, uh, Milos. Uh, I think it, w- it
1: was interesting, you know. He tried to make a few jokes and. Just curious, how you think fans reacted to that, and maybe what you think about Djokovic showing more of this playful side, and you know how that relates to how he resonates with the fans.
0: Yeah, these these post match interviews that, that they do here are, are really fun. Jim Courier does it a lot of times, and I think as not a, not just a journalist, but as a guy who's won this event multiple times, he has um, a credibility with the players that that's hard to get. And these, these are extended interviews. They play them on TV. This isn't one quick post-match. How good does it feel right now? These these are sort of personal questions and it's become a bit of a tradition. And Djokovic has really used this tradition, I, I, I think to show a side of himself people don't otherwise see. It's very sort of comedy hour improv mm-hmm. and Jim's usually, Jim's usually great. I mean, sometimes these things go sideways and, um, you know, even when they do, then they, they become sort of blooper reel material. But this has become part of the Australian Open. And sometimes these things go you know, 10, 12 minutes. And Djokovic in particular has done a really good job, I think, of using these interviews to show his personality and show a lighter side. And, you know, I, whether by accident or by design, to, to win over to win over crowds. I mean, I think for a variety of reasons television rights and, and other programming being one thing. You know, ESPN's not going to spend 12 minutes on post-match tennis broadcasts when there are other games going on. Um, but but here, it's it's really become part of, part of the Australian Open tradition, and Djokovic, probably more than any other player, has been able to use these to, to his advantage.
1: We can look ahead a little bit to tonight. Djokovic will find out who his opponent will be in the final. You have any predictions for... Andy Murray versus Milos Ronic?
0: Yeah, you know, their head to heads are, are three all, and I think that, you know, Ronic has looked terrific here. He's moved better than he ever has. He brings more power to bear than Murray does. He's been pretty businesslike in his matches, not a lot of grind him out five setters. I think a lot, of, I mean, Murray's had a crazy few weeks here, and his wife is home pregnant and his brother's playing, and his father-in-law had a health scare. I mean, I think Murray is sort of fried emotionally, and I, I think Roundage has a real chance here. I mean, I think Mur- Murray's got to be the favorite just on track record alone. You know, Murray's been to this round 18 times already. This is only Roundage's second Grand Slam semifinal, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Roundage pulled off an upset here. I mean, he's he's looked terrific. The courts are to his liking. I don't think the fact that it's a night match is is to his detriment. And you have a sense that Murray, from the beginning, had sort of chalked up this event as sort of a bonus. And he said, you know, he said even in, in 2015, even at the end of last year, that he would leave here on a private plane if his wife went into labor. And you had a feeling he sort of came here with, I'm going to play, but I don't, I don't have a ton of expectation. And I think he's just emotionally it's it's been such a busy few weeks. He's been sort of testy on the court. I think that's a manifestation of his emotions. You know, who who knows? I mean people channel these things differently. But I I think roundage has a real shot.
1: Either way though, the number one seed awaits that winner of that match in the final, just like Serena, the number one seed on the women's side, is going to play the number seven seed uh in Angelique Kerber, so we can use that as our transition over to the women's side of the game going back to Serena's match versus Redwanska in the semifinals you know you said she played this awesome first set just like Djokovic did versus Federer I safe to say we don't have any more doubts about her health or her form heading into the season
0: no no I mean that's what's been so funny about Serena that there were all all these doubts about the left knee and her confidence and she had a tough first-round match and was really, well, you know, she was pretty lucky to get out of uh, that situation. She was making a lot of errors. She didn't look happy on the court. And then something happened. I mean, it's like the, the switch got toggled. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, and I, I talked to her coach, Patrick Mortoglu, um, Yes, I guess it was yesterday, and he very flatly said, you know, this is some of the best tennis she's ever played and he has every expectation she's going to win the trophy. He always did. And suddenly, I mean, Serena is playing at a level for these last five rounds that's comparable to anything in her career. Remember, I mean, 2015 was a terrific year for her statistically and in terms of winning three majors, but there were a lot of times where she was playing sort of substandard, at least by her standard, tennis and still winning. I mean, everybody cites the French Open, but... You know, there were a lot of matches she won in 2015 when she wasn't at her best, and it's it's testament to, you know, her, her greatness that she still figured out ways to win. That's not been the case here. After that first-round match, she's just been dominating. And I think it's interesting she hasn't necessarily been hitting the ball as hard as always. I mean, some of that is just talk-eye data. Some of that is, you know, at the, the Pliskova sisters at one point both had more aces than she did. But she's been a lot more accurate. There's been very little in the way of of drama. She Mm. absolutely ran roughshod over Radwanska, won the first set in 20 minutes. The second set was more competitive as just, you know, as probability-wise you you think it would be. Um, And Serena pulled away at the end. I mean, even Radwanska, this this is the number four player in the world. And she basically said, I can't be too disappointed in the match yeah. today, because the level on the other side of the net was just a joke.
1: And that—that that was what, my next question for you: Is how do you think she played? Because I thought that she sort of came out, and w- while Serena had this really dominating first set, she also seemed—it seemed like Radwanska came out, and she just had this doubt and this uncertainty from the minute that she walked out onto the court, you know. And and even after the match, she she said, "And we can we can take a listen to her, but." She said, "You know, I don't think anyone can play on Serena's Serena's level. If she's playing her best tennis, like she was playing today, especially in the first set, is." Uh Big difference, actually. I don't. I don't think anyone can play in that level. And she really showing her great tennis on all the Grand Slams. She really showing that she wanna win it, and uh, she's doing everything right. And she goes on court and she just wanna kill it and going like full power for everything. So I don't think anyone can really play on that kind of level at all. I I wonder how much of that. Was already in her head before she even stepped out onto the court for Serena.
0: You know, she she never beaten Serena in eight tries. And again, these are these are two veterans. I mean, this is this has spanned a, a fair amount of time. She'd never beaten Serena. She, you know, o- only a few times had even taken sets off of her. One one of those was the Wimbledon final. I, I think Radwanska knows her, her challenge, which is she's a terrifically consistent player. She's a smart player, but she just doesn't have near the power that Serena does and yeah I, mean, I don't think she expected to lose necessarily but I think eventually you become realistic enough and the history speaks for itself that you know you have to have an absolutely exceptional day and your opponent has to be off and it must have been really demoralizing for Red knowing this going in that Serena, for those first 20 minutes, played about as well as she can play, dictating every rally. She had Red Wanska, I mean, didn't even give her time to to set up. And again, I mean, I, I think Red Wanska is a very realistic. She's not one of these players that is delusional in her, in her confidence or delusional about what has to happen during a match. And I think in the back of her head, Red Wanska knew pretty early that this was going to be a tough day at the office, and Serena was not going to have one of those off days, the way she did at the same round at the last major, of the U.S. Open.
1: And so she'll play Angelique Kerber in the final on Saturday. Obviously, not a player we thought we'd be talking about in you know heading into the final days of this slam, but she's played great, and you know she's she's earned a, a win over Victoria Azarenka to to you know play in this final. What are your thoughts about her chances against Serena? You know, she's she's an established top-ten player. She had four titles on tour last year. She has beaten her once in her career. What are your thoughts?
0: She, she's going to be the, the overwhelming sort of underdog. But, no, you're right. I mean, this is the number-seven seed. She's a lefty. She's a veteran. She's been to the latter round of slams before. She's never been in a final before, and you're never quite sure what you're going to get when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um some players seize the moment and sort of say, look, this is, this is a great chance. And I've, I've got to go. This completely rewrites my career. This could be a life-changing moment for me. And they just seize the opportunity, um, you know, Francesca Schiavoni at the French open a few years ago, or, you know, Pemarian Bartoli. I mean, every now and then you see this more commonly players sort of freeze a little bit and, the moment gets to them and you're just never quite sure you, you can't simulate that you, you can't really prepare for that moment so I think a lot, a lot of this is just going to be Kerber at this huge moment of her career and how she handles it I think look if, if those two played in, in a gym with no one watching um Serena probably wins you know eight of ten matches and again, she's she's the huge favorite. I think people are going to say she's three to at not having to play Azarenka. But but as you say, Jamie, Kerber has been terrific. She was down match point early in the tournament in her first match. And since then, she's done what she's had to do. That match over Azarenka really was terrific. And she actually had more winners than Azarenka. We think of Kerber as a defensive player, sort of a, a lefty David Ferrer model. But um, I think that, Gallant report needs to be updated. I think she can give Serena a, a tough time. I think the, the lefty look, which Serena hasn't played a lefty this tournament, might be a factor. But, you know, again, re- realistically, this is Serena's title to lose.
1: And a fitting storyline that we have heading into the final, given that a German is given the task of defending Steffi Graf's record of 22 Grand Slams, which Serena looks to tie. Kerber sort of talked about this a little bit in her post-match interview, which we can listen to. Now, it's been a while since uh, a German made a a Grand Slam final, and I know your idol is Steffi Graf. Do you think there might be a a text from Steffi telling you how to play Serena after this match? Let's see. Maybe. I hope so. So, Steffi, write me, please. No, I mean, yeah, of course, it's great for the German tennis as well. I mean, uh, to reaching the final here, I, I had a lot of support from Germany and around the world. The fans are amazing, and I had a lot of messages yesterday, and um, I think today they're coming a lot of more. So, um, yeah, just thank you very much. What do you, what do you think the significance of this um, has, if any, on the final? And how many sets? Are we going three? Is Serena going to win in two? What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, uh, I, I think Serena probably wins in straight sets. It's uh, yeah, it's, an, it's a nice storyline that Kerber will either defend her country's honor and hold off Steffi Graf's uh, challenger, or, or else Serena will tie Steffi Graf by having beaten a German player. But, again, I, I'm not sure either player is, is sort of, thinking in those terms when, when the ball's in play, it would be nice. I mean, I would say it would, it would be nice if, uh, if Steffi were here, usually it's something of a tradition that the, the player presents the trophy of Pete Sampras was down here two years ago when it looked like Raphael Nadal was, was going to win his 14th major. Um, it would be nice if, if, Steffi were a bit more part of the story. Uh, she's obviously very, very private. um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I I think that uh, nationality in tennis is sort of always fraught. And it's a a nice storyline that Serena's playing in German to win number 22. But I I don't see that having a lot of bearing on the match.
1: All right. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Go get some sleep. I'm going to try to do the same thing.
1: All right. You want to wrap us up, take us out?
0: All right, that wraps up this check-in. Jamie's going to go to sleep. I'm going to go to sleep as well. We'll see what happens. We've got three matches left. Both number one seeds are still remaining. They're the defending champions as well. They are three-time slam winners in 2015, Serena Williams and Novak Djokovic, picking up where they left off. We'll see how they fare over the weekend. Uh, Enjoy the tennis, everyone, and we'll see you stateside we